0: Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause Marriage and Motherhood. Hello and thank you for joining us again. I'm here today. Oh, who am I here with? Jesus Christ. What's your last name, Gail? (laughs) Nicky. I'm Jesus Christ now. (laughs) Let's start these podcasts as we mean to go on. Okay. cut. Hello and thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Gail McHugh from Prosperity Planning Partners. Gail's been doing money since leaving school and realised that simply because she's been hanging around money for so long, she's absorbed quite a bit of useful information. Information most people, particularly women, aren't aware they need to know. Making her own multi-million dollar mistake, was that multi or just No, million? just
1: one. One million dollars enough. One
0: well, yeah, millions enough, right, as a 30-year-old, helped her to understand that there's a massive danger in not knowing what you don't know. And as a result of that, she's been learning ever since. Now, you work as a financial planner and you work particularly with people to plan upcoming retirements, don't you? And I do, I do. And estates and all that kind of thing. So tell me a little bit about that. But then I also want to talk to you about because you are currently doing a lot of work with women and you said to me the other day and I went what that the biggest growing homeless uh category is women that are our age is that right yeah
1: it is it's the hidden um women that you know the people you know who house sit and couch surf and stuff like that
0: Mm, they are
1: the biggest at risk people
0: Let's go, because we do need to follow this story through. So let's go through. Tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are and what you do, and then we'll move on to that bit as well.
1: Okay, cool. So I did many, many years in banking, and I got to what the guys um, considered, and I say guys because it was the men were the commercial lenders, and they were training me to to fill in and, and take on commercial lending and I go I went oh this is as boring as because it was the same thing same thing same thing and you were just like checking numbers against where they needed to be and whether somebody was profitable and I went oh guys there's this new thing called financial planning and I'd really like to go and learn that and they were like oh don't be silly don't be silly don't be silly and turns out their jobs all got made redundant and I'm still doing what I do 25 years later almost So So you
0: went off on your own, did you? So what happened? What was the mistake at 30 that cost you money? Oh, look,
1: my my husband, this was before I started to learn about financial planning. So my husband came home from work and he said to me, hey, I want to put $100,000 into a a company that we'll have no control over. And uh, first of all, the stumbling block was we didn't have the $100,000. We would have had to go and borrow it. And I'm going, because we owned owed 14 grand on our house that at the time was worth about 350 grand so you know put it in perspective we had pretty much no debt and i'm going 100 grand oh my god i've got we've got three kids this is just a big risk can't do it so instead of doing what i would do now which would be investigate the opportunity more i just went oh no no we can't do it so three years later he came home from work and he said you know that company we wanted i wanted to buy into please excuse my cat he's talking to me um he he said yeah I said well yeah I do remember that and he said well you know those shares that we were going to buy in all that third of the company we're going to buy I went yeah. he said it just sold for 1.1 million and I was like oh oops so (laughs) literally (laughs) I can put a hundred sorry a million dollar price tag on my rejection of an opportunity wow and that then made me go oh maybe I should learn a bit more about this investing thing. (laughs) And I've been doing it ever since.
0: Who is it you work with now? Because you have a company called Prosperity Planning Partners, don't you? I do, absolutely. So that is my own
1: company and I chose to have partners as clients. We partner with people for their whole journey. So whether it be somebody starting out or somebody who's towards the end of life where they need to organise aged care and that type of strategy we cover the whole spectrum but my my love my biggest love is helping people get ready for retirement and then turning them into retirees so that they can afford their lifestyle
0: and how do you do that because there's all sorts of hurdles that you know taxation things and superannuation and what do you do Uh, with your houses and all that how do you sort all that out
1: so as a financial planner we have to know tax as well as financial planning and investments and a whole pile of strategy stuff. So I tend to sit down with the clients and say, talk to me about your goals. Talk to me about how you want to proceed or what I what your ideal would be. And, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't because I, I mean, I had one man say to me at 69, can I just go and borrow a million dollars and I'm going to buy a new house? And I'm like, mate, you've got no income. You're not going to be able to borrow a million dollars. But he had to go and find that out. It was his own journey. But there's other people who are willing to be guided and encouraged and they will be able to retire debt-free. For example, one of my clients during the Gf no, not the GFC, the, the recent COVID thing, um, rang me and said, Gail, I want to take 10 grand out of my super because I have to pay for my daughter's wedding. And I went, you're not doing it. And you went, oh, oh but, oh, oh, oh. And I went, no, because I have you covered. I've already, I've known about this wedding coming up for two years as have you, I said, but you don't realise I've actually been effectively keeping money aside to make sure that there was money there to pay for the wedding and we've still got money to invest. And he went, oh, right. Okay, good. So his super's still intact is still an investment portfolio the wedding got paid for it was like done and dusted in the last month so we're ticking boxes and they're closer to retirement than they would have been had they whipped 10 grand out of his super
0: so, when you say you work in partnership with them, do you actually take control of the finances? How does it work?
1: No, clients, that particular client, he and his wife have been clients for around 10 years now, or well, actually before I started my own business, so probably about 15 years. And then I, when I started my business nine and a bit years ago, they came over to be clients and they control their day to day cash. We control the strategy and where money is directed to a degree, but they still control their day-to-day living. They do their budget. They do everything. We, on the inside of like, there's this little separation between us of they have the trust in me to create the right strategy that will help them retire debt-free and with money in a portfolio that will be debt-free as well. So we they're going to have no debt to retire on, probably around $300,000 worth of an investment portfolio, and probably close to the same amount of money in superannuation. Of course, there's doing a little bit of a salary sacrifice and things like that. And effectively, oh, and they get tax refunds every year, just saying. Ooh. Yeah, because we structure their investment income in the right format and minimize income where possible to minimise their tax liabilities. So both of them, they get the best of both worlds or all worlds when you start to work with a planner. Because we know some tricky stuff, you know, that magic wand that you wish you had, we pretty much got it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how many clients do you work with? Because if you're working that closely, the number of people you can work with must be quite limited. Well, it depends
1: because once you get the strategy right and everything set up, that's the really labour intensive and the trust intensive part because, for example, I had some clients last year and they sold a house and we did some little tricky stuff and they ended up with a million dollars of plus of capital and they'll never pay tax again. But their money, when we had a conversation, I think we did that in August and we had a conversation in November and the value of their capital had gone up by $86,000 plus it had paid them some income. So it, it's about structuring and getting the right mix of what works for them. Once you've got that right, it's not a set and forget. But it it turns into something that we review once a year. We don't do it on a weekly or a fortnightly or a monthly basis. It's once a year, and they can always call and go, "Hey, this is where I need help, or I've got a question. Can you help me with this?" I had an email from a client on Friday, and he said, "Hey, I need values of my." Um, Assets so that I can update Centrelink. So we just basically pull together the documents that he needed and he's going to upload it. So it could be a five minute job or it could be a three hour job that we do, just depending upon what the client's needs are at the time.
0: So when you're coming up to retirement and you're thinking about going into assisted living, pension phase, yep. Yeah. Well, if you, but if you're actually selling up your family home and going into sheltered housing, there's a few pitfalls there are there what are the well there's some pluses and minuses so if you're going into say an over fifty fives
1: retirement village and a lot of people are you know they're marketed really well so they're made to look ridiculously attractive some of them can have I mean the lifestyle might be great please don't get me wrong but some of them can come with some financial sting in the tail of up to 30 percent of an exit fee And then some of them also have it so that you don't get to participate in any capital gain. So let's say I just recently spoke to a potential client and he was thinking of selling his house and his lawyer pointed out to him that he had a 30% exit fee and no right to the capital gain. And he didn't own the property. He just leased the property. He had a 99-year lease on it. So that was the lawyer saying to him, potentially a problem here.
0: Wow. So, in that situation, you fork out, you, say, $300,000 here. For oh, no, this was things.
1: this was close enough to $900,000 that he was going to be handing out. So, for him, it was going to be closer to a $270 exit fee, and then he was not going to get any value uplift. And the way the properties are growing on the Gold Coast at the moment, you would anticipate that that property would be worth probably 1.1 to 1.2 three million dollars in the the next two to three years so if he sold in two to three years he was just going to get his 900 less his 270 so he was going to throw away potentially half a million dollars
0: so it's going to cost him basically a hundred thousand dollars a year to live there for three years
1: Mm -hmm. wow yeah oh that's on top of the fees he would have had to pay so i mean this is a live live example and those fees were 20 grand a year so the you know, strata
0: fees or whatever they call them they're usually quite high aren't they yeah fees. exactly
1: I, I said no rates and he went no and i went well that means you don't own it and he went oh 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 yeah actually the lawyer did tell me about that but yeah so really interesting some of those things it's a great way to transfer wealth to another um not your family So clearly, I will never be
0: buying in one of those places. <laughs> but are there good ones? Are there good retirement villages, or are they all? Have you really got to be careful? You've
1: got to got to get your contract checked very, very carefully. And I always encourage people if they're thinking about it, spend a you know a couple of grand with the lawyer and get the lawyer to go through it with a fine tooth comb because that's their job and that. It ended up costing this man a thousand dollars for the lawyer to look at it and it saved him potentially, you know, three to three hundred to a half a million dollars. That's not three hundred dollars, <laughs> three hundred thousand.
0: Wow. <laughs> now let's go on to the homeless thing. Uh, Tell me about that. Well, I
1: was doing some research recently for a program I'm developing and what the program is, and I'll just give you a little bit of background as to why I did the research. There's a lot of women that I know who haven't been like me and hung around money for a long time, so they don't know what they don't know. And years ago, one of my now friends, before I met her, signed off on a guarantee on a loan and her ex-partner had borrowed money against her house. She wasn't working at the time. Their relationship fell apart and the house is gone because she couldn't afford to pay his loan and he just went and took all the things that he'd borrowed money for and left her with the debt so she and her two kids got evicted house sold out from underneath them so when I realized that people were like innocently making decisions that had long-term repercussions I went we probably need to change that and then when I was doing the research around this whole thing I discovered that the highest at-risk demographic in Australia of homelessness is 55 plus females. And I fit firmly in that from an age group perspective. Thank goodness I'm not homeless, but there are people that I know who regularly house sit, they couch surf or they they hang out in somebody's spare bedroom. How many people, how many women in particular do you know who do that type of thing? And then there's those who are less fortunate and they find themselves sleeping in their car or even on the streets. So there's, that is the highest hidden group of homelessness because women are proud. They won't tell you that they are at risk.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? No, we just deal with things that that's in our nature. We just get on with stuff and let's deal with it. Let's keep going. I was telling you just before we started recording that I watched a movie the other day called Nomad Land, mm-hmm. and it is about exactly that. This woman, her husband had died. She lost her job. The factory in the town had closed, and, and they were the main employer of everybody. And then she lost her house, and she ended up buying a van and kitting it out and just traveling from town to town to find work. That's what happens. Tell me what you're doing with this new program and how you can help those people. Well, I need to know I, more about this because I'm... Okay, kind of, so let's
1: talk about... that. I want to go back two steps on the homelessness thing. It usually happens because of relationship breakdown and there's such a diff, disparity in income for women. I mean, even in this day and age where we're supposed to have equal pay for equal job rubbish, we're still underpaid by roughly 20%. And then what happens is women tend to historically work part-time whether it be because they're looking after their children or they can only find part-time work to fit in around school hours or then they get to the other end of the the spectrum and they're not pushing the pram they're pushing the the wheelchair or the helping with the wheelie walker because they've got parents or parents-in-law who need support now it's never the male that stops work or oh, sorry it's rarely the male that stops work it's usually the female and then you get to the stage where grandmas go oh look Oh, look after little Johnny or you know, Mary, whatever, so that their daughter or their daughter-in-law can go to work. So that as a result impacts their superannuation balances. So women tend to have roughly half of superannuation balance of males of a similar age. And because of their stop start on employment, it means that they don't have as much capacity to create income, or even go and get a loan if their relationship breaks down. So these are the factors that, that really impact that hidden homelessness. So when I'm doing these research, I'm going right. We have to nip this in the bud earlier. So I've, I'm working on a, a plan or a, a program, for, for want of a better word, where I'm just going to sit and have conversations with people about what we need to know and. And I'm really weird about this because I don't know what people need to know because I know so much about what people need to know. Does that sort of make sense? Totally. And I I struggle because I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, maybe I'm not going to tell people what they need to know. But the reality of it is if we can empower women to take control of their financial future, they're going to ripple that through their family and through their community because if you as we said a little bit before when we were chatting prior women just get stuff sorted so if we have the skills to get stuff sorted with instead of just making do with what we know then there's a lot stronger probability that we're going to be safer in the future because we can make more informed and better decisions
0: and the other thing is we don't want our daughters going through the same thing, because or our grandchildren. Watch what this. the you know what the older people are doing, and I don't want my kids to go through the same thing because I, if something happened to John, I'd be in that position. My super's is a lot less than his, and he is the main breadwinner. Yeah, what would happen? Yeah, it's a real eye
1: opener, Karen. And most people don't stop and consider that that is. Oh, excuse me, my cat's trying to get on screen. <laughs> Most people don't consider that that is a major risk, that we have this trust that the system has always been that somebody will look after us. But if you're in your 50s and you're suddenly homeless, how are you going to go and get a job? Mm. Because you don't have the capacity to do that. Now, literally, I know a 62-year-old woman who through last year, this time last year, through no fault of her own, she had invested in what she thought was a really good investment her money disappeared overnight, just gone. And it was mm, about $1.6 million. She was about to, just about to take the money out and buy a house or most of the money out and buy a house. So she's now got to rent somewhere, has no real capacity to work full-time because she has a, an ongoing health concern and as many people do as we get older. And therefore, she's now gone from having this nest egg that would have seen her right for the remainder of her life to having an absolute level of uncertainty can you imagine what that would do to you mentally as well as physically to know that you literally had had your whole life just boomed, gone transformed through no real fault of your her own other than that she trusted the the Company that she was investing in, which, by the way, I had nothing to do with. But just saying, (laughs) because you know, there, I'm sure there's there's good and bad financial planners out there, and there's good and bad investments decisions made. Well, look, I had my own million dollar mistake years ago, but these are the types of things that we need to be aware of. So, part of the program will be talking about cash flow management. It's really boring, but if you can become a cash flow queen, have some money left over, then you can actually start to Create an investment portfolio. And it doesn't have to be that you start with a large amount of money. Years ago, when my boys were teens, they and they're well, the youngest is 31 next month, so it's a while. <laughs> they used to have managed funds, and a managed fund is basically a big pool of investments. You might have $1,000 in it just for as an example, but you could have 200 companies or investments inside of your $1,000 investment. So at one stage, there was more than a thousand dollars because that would have been a dreadful loss. But the the kids, one of them said, oh my God, I could have bought a skateboard with what that lost. And they just paid $200 for skateboards, the younger two. And I'm like, it's your pocket money. You spend it how you like. But so they basically said, I could have bought a skateboard and the slightly older one, the 3 year older one. So he's about 15 at the time said, give this 12 months or so, not 12 months, this next statement, which used to come every six months, he said, I reckon it'll be at least back to where it was, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. So when the next statements came out, it was it had gained two skateboards. <laughs> I love you measured it in skateboards. <laughs> they measured it in skateboards. So that was their economy. That was their, you know, their currency. So they measured their losses and gains in skateboards when they were teenagers, and that same younger child, when he was 15, he he started his first job and he said to me, hey, mum, I want to buy some shares. And I went, ah, right, talk to me about that. And at 15, he was too young to buy them. So I set up an account in my name as trust for him and we, we purchased it. And he chose his company and we put some money in there. And he had turned $2,000 into $5,000 by time he had actually needed to sell those shares. So that's called capital growth, and he'd had income on the way. (laughs) So he had to pay some tax. (laughs) But the difference was he understood because he used to measure things in skateboards that there was a risk reward trade off that we go through. So most people go, I'll just whack it in the bank. And that's probably the worst thing you can do because right now inflation is at 1.9%. Can you get 1.9%? interest rate at the bank. So I had a client tell me not long ago, they they had a million dollars that while they were waiting for me to pr- produce the strategy that we were doing, and they were offered 0.8 of a percent on a million dollars. So if you're thinking about that, it's 1.9% inflation, take off your 0.8 that you got. So you're behind the eight ball by 1.1% in your spending power. So it's really important that we don't, as individuals, get too safe and secure because it will just damage our capacity to have money and our lifestyle in the future.
0: So if, and I know this isn't where you want to go with the program, but if somebody finds themselves in that position where they're looking full in the face of losing everything, what can they do? The first thing you do
1: is actually talk to people. Um, I literally had a conversation with an insolvency expert yesterday. He We'd been introduced and he was saying the best thing that you can do if you're in business and you're trying to pro, like not go bankrupt. He said, just talk to people, talk to us or talk to an insolvency expert so that you can understand what your options are. And in some cases, you can talk to people like me, because we can maybe say to you, if you do this versus this, you could get a better outcome. And You've just got to actually put your hand up. Instead of being embarrassed, go, hey, I need help. And I can't, like I don't run a charity, but there are many times where I, I will help people and go, listen, this is what you need to, to, the steps you need to take to make sure that you're in communication and helping yourself rather than just hiding from the whole situation. So there's speaking up is really your best option. And reaching out for assistance.
0: It's very hard, isn't it? Because around money,
1: we all go really weird. We all go. We do go really weird, and we get embarrassed. And and people measure themselves against A and B. You know, they person A's got driving. Okay, I'm a perfect example. I'm not a car person, other than it just needs to get me get me from A to B. And I drive a ten year old Corolla because it's reliable it's well looked after, it's got some car park scratches in it. And I'm like, but anyway, I I was talking to a a friend and they just bought financed $150,000 motor vehicle. And they said to me, what are you driving? I went, "Daggy little Corolla. And they were like, well, why? And I said, because I want my assets to increase in value and cars always decrease in value. So I'm happy to drive what you consider a bomb, I consider it a reliable little vehicle because I don't want to have my $150,000 car that I have to pay off to be worth maybe $30,000 in five years' time. And they went, oh, I never thought of it like that before because they were looking at the prestige of having an expensive car. I prefer to have a share portfolio or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oh. Because I said, you know, my share portfolio can grow and it can give me income and it can help me pay off any debt that I've got. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, I didn't think about that. So, you know, it's down to dealing with different people's values and different people's priorities.
0: Yeah, it's moving the mindset, isn't it, from all the looking good and keeping up with the Joneses stuff and you'll be happy if you buy this, which is what? All the advertising says, basically. Buy oh, this. totally. You'll be happy.
1: And it's like, sale! And I'm like, no! Do you need it? <laughs> but it's 70% off. And I'm like, you're still spending 30%. So do you need that? And literally, I, I, I got traumatised a few years ago having to clean up my aunt's house. She was a hoarder. To put it in perspective, it took us... Three nine cubic meter skip bins, three that's like big, two and a half times the length of my car, basically, to three times to empty her house of her hoarded stuff. And I was so traumatized by that that I literally have got a very streamlined household. I, I have given away so much since. And I have a, a thing where if one piece of clothing comes in or a pair of shoes comes in, can only come in if something's going out. So I'm a, a weirdo from that perspective, but I don't want to leave my kids with that job of having to go through and divest them, the household of a whole pile of stuff.
0: I never thought of it like that because if, if something does happen or when it happens, you don't want to be just all your junk around you. Well,
1: you've also got to look at more and more Australians are moving to aged care as it gets to the point where, because of longevity, we we're living longer, health fails, and people are in aged care anywhere from three years is the the average minimum. My mother-in-law made it to one month short of ten years, so you've just got to realise that when you eventually do have to move into some form of aged care, you have to have everything in a room. And it's my mom and my mother-in-law were both in aged care, and their bedroom is was probably half the size of my current bedroom. So, what I'm trying to say is, you're going to end up if you go to aged care having to deal with most of that stuff before. But if you're lucky enough and you pass away at home, you've then got this all this stuff around you. So I'm right into pretty much minimalism now. <laughs> And the advantage of that is I don't spend money on stuff that I don't need simply because my aunt traumatised me by having a four-bedroom house chock-a-block full of stuff. There were five sewing machines and four dinner sets, It's still in boxes, that were unopened. Oh, and, and box after box after box of um, fabric because she was a crafter. So, you know, uh, probably thousand, probably twenty or $30,000 worth of crafting stuff. And we ended up gifting it to people because we couldn't
0: sell it. What is the one thing that you want to get across to people? Okay,
1: I would really, really want to get across that women need to take control of their financial well-being. And I don't mean that about just a budget, but start to understand some of the reasons and the decisions behind what they're doing. Because in a lot of instances, like my my million dollar was mistake was made because I was working with my parents' value system, which was I needed stability and fear of loss. So when I figured that out, I went, ah, no wonder I made that really expensive mistake. Because, but I mean, what I'm getting at is I have a, an amazing level of tolerance for risk and when i say risk i'm talking about changing values not risk of total loss but risk of changing values so i love the share market because last year some investments i bought this time last year have made 25% growth not negative growth for me that's just normal because i'm i don't need the money i don't need to take it out i'm willing to ride that roller coaster which is what some people consider it I just go, "Hmm, markets moving, you know, and markets can move every single day and it's based on emotion, not necessarily fact, but it's based on fear and emotion. And the biggest thing that we can ever do to help ourselves is when everyone else is selling, hold your nerve because the markets invariably turn. I've seen this happen five times since I started planning back in 1997 and each time it's a massive transfer of wealth when people are afraid they go oh my god I've got to sell I've got to sell I can't cope in fact in the global financial crisis my husband said to me threw his hands in the air and said I want to sell everything we own that's share related and I went oh god (laughs) because I was lining up to buy and he's going, no, I want to sell everything. And so I, I took it away from shares and I said to him, okay, if we went to David Jones or Meyer or Bunnings or wherever you want to spend your money and you could get two for one for the same thing, what would you do? And he said, well, I said, you know, nothing's changed. The quality of the company, quality of the item has not changed. And he said, I'd buy two. I said, well, what's different between a company? Same company management, same business model, Nobody's done anything wrong. Why would you not do that? And he went, "Oh, okay. So what are we buying?" Because he suddenly got the the idea that it wasn't necessarily doom and gloom. It was a, a buying opportunity, and he was like, "Oh, great!" So as it that particular company, we bought at twenty seven dollars pre GFC. It had been sixty five. Sold it at ninety two. So opportunity knocks sometimes when the market is upsetting people so this is what i'm saying it's a great opportunity for transfer of wealth but you can take advantage of it instead of throwing your money away
0: so should women be throughout their lives trying to keep their own take care of their own financial future completely independently as opposed to with their partner look the
1: longer you're together it it all together, amalgamates, because effectively under the law, if somebody's going to get divorced, you get to split it anyway. So it doesn't matter. But I do think you really need to have input and understanding and knowledge. So my aunt and uncle, I had dinner with them last night, they're both 73. And my aunt said to me, I really don't fully understand everything that we do. My uncle's an economist, for goodness sake. He understands, right? So she said, but I go to the meetings and I ask questions. And I said, that is the best thing you can do because you need to be informed. And I think that's the biggest thing for women is to not just put their head in the sand and go, I haven't got time for that or I'm going to look after the kids and he can look after the money. Please take an interest because if you don't take an interest, you could actually find that your partner, and I do know somebody who has had this done, partners skimmed all the money out of your self-managed super fund and out of your bank accounts because you had a gambling problem and you've lost your house as well. So I met this lady about two months ago and she told me her story and I was horrified because she had just trusted that he was doing everything and she'd been focused on the kids. So keep an eye on everything, ladies.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for that. Is there anything else you want to say before we go?
1: Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And I think it's really important that we all just honour ourselves and take more interest in how we do life and how we do money.
0: Thank you so much. What you've said has really struck home for me today because a few years ago, I thought about getting back into the workforce, but because I'd been out of it for so long, it wasn't practical. It wasn't going to pay well. I couldn't get a decent job, all of those things. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm just fortunate in that I do have the capacity to go out and build a business myself. A lot of women don't. So totally. And to be honest, I have
1: three, and I'm working on my fourth. <laughs> Businesses, that is. <laughs> so, when it comes down to it, Karen, we have capacity to do far more than we ever think we have. And I used to be a, a negative Nancy, and now I'm the, and now I'm the exact opposite. I'm like a positive, like positive whatever. Somebody, or somebody said to me the other day, "Oh my God, you're so positive!" And I'm like. There's absolutely a gift in every lesson we take. So I look at a lesson as if something's gone wrong, it's not a mistake, it's just a lesson. Just now get on with it, take what you've now learned and move forward, but with more power because you know what not to do next time. (laughs)
0: Yeah, ooh, that didn't work. Comes into my vocabulary quite a lot.
1: (laughs) And you know that word pivot? I used to hate it, but I'm actually using it as just encouraging people to go that particular thing didn't work but if I just pivot a little bit or alter it a tiny bit you could be making a great opportunity for yourself Mm. and it's never too late to start
0: I was avoiding asking you that what's the best time to start because it's like well it's now if you haven't already started start now I had somebody come to me two weeks ago and they said oh Gail
1: let's about six months till I retire. And I'm like, okay. And they went, is it too late? I'm like, no, it's never too late. We just need to get some things in place. But reality of it is the earlier you start, the better capacity you have to build wealth because wealth doesn't just create overnight. It takes time. You know, I just mentioned my 25% in the last 12 months. The two days after I bought it, it had gone down 10%. But for me, that's okay. Because I knew I I wasn't taking it out the next day. So effectively, if you're looking at it, I've had a 35% return because I had to get my 10% back. (laughs) But it's all about understanding there's a reward for taking action. And if you take no action, you're going to get what you deserve. Oh dear! <laughs> on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I'm going to go and have lunch with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That was really great.
0: I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Happy to chat, and please enjoy the rest of your day. I will. Oh, and before we go, I'll just say all of Gail's contact details are on the web page that goes with this. So hop on over to the web page, and you can get in touch with Gail or chat with her on Facebook or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah. She's a lovely cool. person, even if she's quite blunt sometimes. <laughs> she's very blunt.
1: <laughs> I love her. <laughs> uh, you know what? I suit. I don't suit every client, but I always use English in a manner in which people can understand. So, I've actually sat down with clients at one stage. They came in with three, literally three A4 pages of questions. Answered every one of them, and they went, "Okay, we're going to do business now." Because if you hadn't been able to answer those questions, you weren't a planner for us.
0: Good grief. I can't imagine having three A4 pages of questions. Yeah, you know, I got through. I, I, apparently I had an exam to do and I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you got an A+. Plus. you didn't. well. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much, Gail. Bye. Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.